you have to have confidence in yourself and your ability to do what it is you're being asked to do. And if you've learned to become confident in yourself, you will eliminate probably the most overused word that I hear all the time. And I just absolutely almost want to throw up when I hear announcers talk about it. And it's just this ad infinitum pressure, pressure, pressure. Pressure, pressure this, pressure that. There is no pressure when you have confidence in your ability. This podcast is not to be used as medical advice or medical education. If you are experiencing pain, discomfort, or any other medical or physical ailment, please consult a licensed medical doctor or physical therapist. This is the strategy of fitness. Hey, this is Dan Gorman from the Strategy of Fitness Podcast. We'd like to thank you for all of your support. And if you love the podcast, please recommend to a friend. Find the Strategy of Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Please like, subscribe, follow, and leave a review if you can. On Instagram, we are at the Strategy of Fitness. And we also give you the best gym songs every week. The Strategy of Fitness official hitters playlist on Spotify. The Strategy of Fitness recently partnered up with Whoop, the best wearable technology you can use for any type of fitness that you're into. Just click on the link in our Instagram bio and sign up and get $30 off. Welcome back to the Strategy of Fitness podcast. My name is Nick Cressy, joined weekly by Dan Gorn and Rob Roland. Boys, what's up? I'm excited Hello. to be here. I'm talking with you, talk with you, Chufferinos, and we're going to get the streams on the back end, but I've been loving Curb. Curb our stream of the week is Curb Your Enthusiasm. We're going to get into it. We're going to go top to bottom, episode one and two. God bless Larry David. He just, he's the light of my life. I hope I can only be like him when I'm older. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying Nick's new microphone there. It looks like it's also functioning as a space heater. Now, which it probably is since I learned he keeps his house at like 55 degrees. He's even more of a psycho than I am. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk the heating situation here, Nick. You said so, so, so I'm like one end where I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to deal the hassle. We're setting it at 68. It's going to stay there all winter. That's where we are. Rob is in the middle. He's like the medium bowl of porridge where he'll have his heat on sometimes and heat off sometimes. And he goes like 60, what, 64, 65, Rob? Go a little bit south of that if, if we're conditioned for it. And then Nick, the the uh, now now Rob, yeah, this is fascinating. Nick, you go lower. Where, where where do you go? I keep my electric bill like I do my wads my wad times. I want them lower every year. Now, <laughs> one of these days, that's not going to work for either of them. But I still think I have some margin. So you know, I see I see November last year. I see October last year. It's pretty mild, pretty pretty, pretty nice temperature. So I'm like, you know, I don't need it downstairs. We are. We are no heat downstairs when no one's downstairs. Now, the problem with that I'm discovering, boys, is I got a bunch of grout down there in the new kitchen. 
And it's not going to weather so well. And I should know that because we flipped some houses. So that that was a mistake. I won't let it get below 59 down there. So that's when like the emergency heat kicks in. Upstairs, Mallory and I are in a constant tug of war because I am happy with if I'm walking into a hotel room, the very first thing I'm doing around. Crank it down. Go down to 62. Go down to 62 because that's typically where they start to regulate. So I have the heat on (laughs) around 61, 62. And I got the kids and Mallory just fucking furious. So. You know, I I got another couple of weeks and then I probably won't be able to to keep pushing. But I don't, I don't know if Mal listens anymore, but she does. I'm on, she does. I, I'm on your side, Mal. That is that is. And I let it get to 64 or 65 before I even clicked it on. So I'll let it get down there. God, that's that's some ne- that's some next level shit going down to 59. I, I can't get on board with that. <laughs> 59 is not in a room that anyone's living in. Except me when like the kids and Mallard at school and work, like, you know, I don't have you know, heat on here. I just, you know why stars. hotels here, here's the main difference. Cause I fuck, I fuck with the hotel thermostat too. We go down to yeah. 61. Here's the difference is if you're lazy like me, I just have the one comforter, right? I just, I don't have any other sheets. I just throw the comforter on. That's it. Right. And then at the hotel, they have the fucking, the sheet, the sheet over the sheet, the sheet over the sheet over the sheet, and they have the fucking comfort over the sheet. And then they use, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is primed to tuck in the fucking bottom so you can't <laughs> move and you're in a goddamn sarcophagus. So you need the, you need the cool down so low because when you tuck in that goddamn bed, you know, it's, 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 it's unlivable. Uh, that's my favorite use of sarcophagus I've ever heard. That was great. Oh, perfect. I had to dig for that one. That was good. Nick, does your does your frugality extend into the light situation in your house too? Are you following everybody around and just flipping off switches all the time, bro? This is, this is the same days. motherfucker that has thirty eight thousand dollars of gym equipment and a fucking <laughs> three thousand dollar goddamn Breville and a fucking rec pack and there's, so, so, there's so, a reason so, I can so, afford those things yeah, because it so, comes so, out <laughs> comes out the other side. Yes, one hundred percent, Rob. I get just triggered by lights being left on. I hate it. I mean, there's, I mean, look, I'm OCD. I hate, dude, I fucking hate it too. Drives me insane. It, and the kids, they're, they don't even understand their mouths. They're just running around. They just, <laughs> they, they love lights. Mal kind of loves lights. You know, and another thing, leaving the toilet seat open. I mean, I am going to age very similarly to, to Larry David, like just very poorly because it, <laughs> it really, it really chaps my ass. And I am a petty son of a bitch. Like, I'll text Mal from upstairs if the toilet's left open and I'll be like, Hey, you know, <laughs> let, left the, left the toilet seat open. It's like, she's like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Like shut the toilet. I'm like, well, <laughs> I wasn't in that bad. Oh, you get, you get mad at the toilet. Seat. So, so that's a chick move because like the toilet seat down, but you, you actually like it fully closed. The top, yeah. top, top interest. Gotta be closed. Gotta be closed every single time because if not, the dogs would be in there or who the hell knows with the kids. They're just always doing something they shouldn't be. And for some reason, they're in the bathroom more than they need to be. Yeah. Why, why do the kids do my son flocks to the bathroom? Like, like it's like you would think the toilet's full of goddamn Twix or something. I know. He loves the bathroom. Kids love the bathroom, man. It's like there's nothing. He's like playing with a plunger. He's playing with the plunger. I'm like, dude, I literally clean up your shit with that. Like, like this is a disaster. Like, get off of the plunger. There's so much bacteria there. This is one of the better rants I believe we've had. And, 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 it's the one that's teeing up Rick Barry, the Hall of Fame basketball. <laughs> dude, Rick Barry, the fucking the, the legend. And we'll we'll talk about Rick Barry, but the lights thing, dude. I swear to God, half my day is just walking around the house turning off lights. I, I can't quantify the amount of time I spend doing that. 
but I'm training Bailey and Bailey, like before I leave the house in the morning, she'll fucking flick off all the lights like a goddamn champion. What about you, Rob? Does that piss you off? It doesn't, it doesn't really get me that bad surprisingly, but I just brought it up because the basement lights are always on because I think Mara is scared to walk out of the basement with the lights off. So they're constantly on. And sometimes if it's like I'm going to bed, I'm like, I'm not going all the way downstairs to turn the lights off and I just leave them. The basement meat locker where your freezer and everything is, or just your basement, like where you are now. Other side. <laughs> so if I gotcha. look down the stairs when I'm in the kitchen, I can see like, the hint of the light by like the, the washing machine is just, it's just left on and I'm not going to come all the way down here and do it. It's just, it's a battle I've lost. I'm not going to fight that one anymore. Well, you're a better man than I am. Do these dad stereotypes, the stereotypes, the dad stereotypes are very true for a very good reason that they're real. The, there's certain shit as a dad, you just got to fucking, you got to handle it. And then if it doesn't get done, it's going to piss you off. It is. It is what it is. And again, I mean, it's just getting worse with age. So, and this is coming from a person that like didn't make their bed until they were forced to in the Navy. Like I was, I was the, <laughs> I'll never make my bed. I'll never make my bed ever waste the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, but that's another battle I've lost. Make it every goddamn morning. I have to, I have to God. It's so funny. Well, look, you guys have any good workouts for the week? So I ran my, my yearly night trail race again last night. I, I, it's the furthest I've run since I ran it last year. And I, my realization <laughs> is I can maintain a pretty good level of running fitness without ever running. Like I pretty much did this ran the same time I've, I've run the previous years on it, but it just hurt a lot more since I wasn't prepped for it. My quads today feel like somebody beat me with baseball bats. I was just reckless going down these hills. I was going to say, what's the elevation like there? I didn't wear any GPS watch, but there's four hills that are legit walking climbs. I, I could not run them if I wanted to. Oh, yeah. Lucky you didn't roll an ankle or something dumb like that. If you're going down those things, it's like a nut job. Well, I did. I had like a little roll a couple times. And like the last year or so, I've been like, I got to spend more time warming up my left ankle when I squawks. It's just stiff. And then I'm like, I came to the realization I was running out there yesterday that it's, it's from when I rolled it last year doing this race. My ankle has just been <laughs> tight ever since. But shout what out kind of shoes are you wearing on that thing? Oh, I got I have some like Solomon something that just sit in the back of my truck. If I'm going on a hike, I just throw them on. So they're already dirty, ready to go. Nice. BB20 got me through the race. Hell yeah. Of course. It's been rolling my life. Dan, you got into some big booty mix 20. How was it? It's great. Yeah, it was, it was good. I, I saw the verve was in there. Dispatch was in there. You know, some bands I really fuck with heavy. So it was, it was a really good, good time. Good. Our girl, Olivia Rodrigo is in there too. Yeah. The goat. Yeah, she is. What about you, Dan? Anything good? Lots of squat stuff. I shared the long, boring squat stuff. The only thing, other thing I was going to share was another massively long, massively boring squat workout. So I'll save you guys that. And I'm sure Nick, you've done some pretty interesting shit. I'll get some more wads in next week, but what, what about you, Nick? What you got? I got two quick ones for anyone out there. This one was fun. If you got a rower and a GHD, it was 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 calories on the rower and GHD sit-ups core blaster boys. That one was nasty. And then another one that's kind of fun was it was seven minutes, seven minutes max. If you get to seven minutes, you beat the workout, which I, I love shit like that. I think that's fun. And it was a minute 15. Every minute and 15, you had to do 75 double unders and seven strict deficit handstand push-ups. Didn't have to be strict. You know me, I don't do kipping. 
handstand push up thing. It's fucking dumb. So I made it through with a two inch deficit, toasted my shoulders, but those two are both fun. I like that you you just threw GHD out there. Like that's a common home gym piece of equipment. I think that's that's like one of the rarities out there. It is, but you know, I am assuming a lot of people that listen to this go to gyms and you know they can they can go bust it out there. The GHD rower combos, though, it'll never the rowers are a different animal when the abs are going. I'll tell you that much. It is so true, man. You are hitting it on the head, and I met, Mal did it before I did. She did it in like twenty five minutes. I did it in like fifteen. And she was just lit up and she's like, man, my core was blasted. And it's, you get into that round of 30 and you've never felt that way on a rower. (laughs) You're just like, what in the world? I never realized how much I'm bracing. But when you do 90 GHD sit-ups right beforehand, you recognize, but that's fun. Dan, tee up our guest, Rick Barry, because I know you are an avid NBA fan. And this guy has one of the, you know, storied careers yeah we got so first off kudos to you nick because you did two awesome interviews kind of on your own accord a little tough for me and rob to get there during the day so you you work these in and, and we got uh, you know definitely one of our most famous guests we got rick barry he was recently named to the top 75 nba players of all time if you if you don't know who he is i, I was going down the youtube rabbit holes and there's so much phenomenal information but there's a really cool clip called how good rick barry was and kind of puts it in today's context and goes through his whole career you know was with golden state warriors is probably most famous for his his accolades there and the championship that he helped win there but he also bounced around in the aba and he just had these fascinating it was a fascinating career he had contract things that were going on on. He had these different disputes. He was kind of like a, a kind of a polarizing character. But one thing that wasn't polarizing was he was a, a fucking savage. Dude was like one of the best shooters, one of the best scorers, just a complete freak show. And I really can't believe we have him on the pot. I guess Nick has his business relationship with Rick and he was nice enough to join us. So I'm super jealous. I missed out on this interview. I fucking can't wait to hear it. And thanks, Rick, for coming on because it's awesome. Welcome to the Strategy of Fitness podcast, NBA Hall of Famer, just named on the top 75 All-NBA list, Rick Barry. Rick, what is going on, man? Well, actually, more importantly than that, I just got won the World Seniors Pickleball Championship in my age group, which to me is much more exciting. You're uh, telling me that's more exciting than being on the top 75 list. Come on. You got to be kidding. Well, I was on the top 50. So, I mean, and that's over and that's the past. I mean, this is something new that I had to go out and accomplish another another feat in another sport. And I always like challenges. And so pickleball is my thing right now. And I'm really into doing that. And so I'm really excited about the, about having won that and, and saw somebody sent me a ranking or doing something and in my age group and certain categories and stuff. I'm actually ranked number one in the world, which is kind of oh, cool. That is awesome. How'd you get into it? I mean, one of the first things we ask all guests here is what their, what their workout routines are nowadays. So I knew you were getting, I, I always know you, that you're golfing and stuff like that. We talk a little business here or there, but talk to us about this pickleball. How'd you get into it? Well, my wife got started. She said, Sonny, I think you need to try this. This is a really fun sport. And I stopped playing tennis because it was just too hard on my body. And so pickleball doesn't beat your body up like that. And it's competitive. It's I just am in love with it. I'm, I'm totally and completely hooked on it. 
and have played in a lot of lot of tournaments and you know won two US Open gold medals last year and you know, just I'm just there I'm getting ready to go play in some other events and I love the competition that's what life is about for me being an athlete I got into world long driving championships and won four world championships doing that and these are the kind of things that really get the adrenaline flowing and and make me enjoy life love the challenges I love going out and doing things in front of people and being successful at it. It's a drug, right? I, I love that. I mean, I want to get into the competition piece, especially in the 60s and 70s of the NBA in a, in a couple of minutes here. But I'd be remiss not to talk a little current events of the NBA right now. I know your Golden State Warriors are looking pretty good to start the year. You, you think they have the legs to, to make it throughout the year like this? Well, it's been very fortuitous for them, you know, not having all of their people back, especially, you know, Clay and Wiseman and what have you to be where they are. And that's it's good. You know, wins at the beginning of the season are just as important as wins at the end of the season. So you want to try to get as many victories as you can. They're taking advantage of the schedule. They knocked off some some good teams that were struggling early and then they've beaten other teams that they should beat. And they just have to continue to do that and strive to improve. I mean, that's the biggest thing in sports is you can never get satisfied with what you're doing, regardless of what is happening. You always strive to get better. And the moment I always tell people when I talk to them, I said, the moment you think that you've made it and you got to the point where you got the answers, that's the start of your downward spiral. Perfect example of that is I was the best free throw shooter in the history of the game while I was playing. And I was never satisfied. And so I actually worked at that and I got to be a better free throw shooter at the end of my career than I was at the beginning of my career because I was never satisfied with just reaching a level of success. I was always trying to get better. And I think if you approach life that way, it just makes it more rewarding, more challenging, gives you incentive to go out and continue to put the effort forth to improve. I mean, it just makes life more fun. <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, I, I'm with you. And I think that's why I, I like talking to you because well, for one, the proof's in the pudding, but for two, it's just a great mindset to have. And it keeps you in that growth mindset rather than a fixed, you know, I, w- I wanted to ask you something about another team, the the, the heat, they're, they're starting off really well this year. And I just wanted to, I know you, you have some good hot takes just in general, but do you, do you buy into the heat culture thing? Because there's something that goes on there with Riley, and I'm sure you know him you know, pretty well. Do you think it starts with him, and do you think that's a real thing? Because, you know, no matter who's there, they're, they're playing a certain type of way. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly it helps. I mean, the, the, to have success in team sports, there's three elements that have to fall into place. Number one, who do you draft? Who do you trade for? Who do you get in free agency? It's all about the players, and you have to have personnel in those positions of decision-making on your personnel to pick the right people in order to be successful. And so Pat's done a great job of that. And that's what a lot of teams don't do a very good job of. They have to know talent. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't let anything recognize talent. They get hung up on athleticism and athleticism is nice, but I'll give you the athlete. Give me the guy who knows how to play. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, especially in a team sport, especially when you need someone to, you know, you need that third or fourth man to be just as valuable as one or two in crunch time when they're open in the corner, right? So, you know, like you said, it's it's about knowing your your assets and, and being able to depend on them. Well, it's like having a thoroughbred racehorse and you have them pull a plow. 
it makes no freaking sense, right? right? You got a thoroughbred resource, man. You're going to put that sucker on the track, turn him loose, let him do his thing. And this is what happens. And players get stuck in situations where coaches have their, their systems and they force players to play the game the way they want the game to be played. And that's not necessarily in the best interest of the player. And you're not going to get the most out of that player if you're not utilizing in the best way possible for the talents and skills that he has. So that's the, that's the way it works in team sports. It really truly does. So let's go back to, you know, 65 when, when you're drafted by the San Francisco warriors and then you're with the Oakland Oaks and the Washington caps. I've done my research, my homework on you, Rick. One of the things that I was most interested in talking to you about, and you've raised, children, what, five kids that have been professional basketball players, you've seen the change in the evolution of a professional athlete and life on the road, et cetera. I'd love to hear how things used to be, because I know you get to see what it looks like now. And it's kind of cush and nice and travels beautiful and, you know, private jets. What did it used to look like? What was that grind like? <laughs> it was not very, it was not very exciting to tell you the truth. I actually, when I do speeches and somebody wants me to talk, I say, well, do you want to just do an entertaining speech? Do you want to send a message? Is it business related? And I said, but let's try to have some fun. And usually when it comes to having fun as part of it, I tell exactly what you just asked. I compare and tell people the way it was when I played compared to the way it is today. And it's so incredibly dramatic and such a difference. It's, it's, it would be a long story, but the spoiled, the, the players are so spoiled now. It's just amazing. First of all, they're making so much money. They're getting paid just an obscene amount of money to play the game of basketball. And they have every conceivable advantage. There's, I mean, I'll give you, for example, we used to stay, Places, you know, in New York City. I mean, it was like ridiculous. Some of the hotels were just horrible. My first year, I had a roommate. So I had a room with one of the veterans. So we had two people in a room. Okay. That, you know, now they have, they're staying at the, at the Rich Carlton's, the Four Seasons. We're staying at just rat hole places, the Boston, you know, I mean, Madison Hotel in Boston. I mean, just rat hole places. Our per diem, my first year, $8 a day. Jesus. $8 a day. These guys are now getting crazy, a hundred and something dollars per diem. But then after games, they're getting on chartered flights and going and have food catered for them. And they're still getting their per diem. It's then it, even the arenas. I think it's kind of funny. We played in the cow palace, right? In San Francisco, South San Francisco, they play with the palace at Auburn Hills. I mean, just even the names <laughs> are, are just, it's, it's so crazy. I mean, I, we would hope the arenas were horrible. You would hope that they had hot water. You would hope that you didn't get a foot fungus. You would hope that there was soap in the locker after the game. I mean, some of the places that they, they would leave the windows open up in Boston Garden sometimes, they'd leave the windows open and it would be like a freaking meat locker in there. It was so freaking cold. Or they'd turn the heat up and make it into a sauna bath to just drain your freaking energy. It, it's, I just go on and on and on. We drove ourselves. We used to rent cars and drive ourselves after a game, after a game, we would go in the shower and I would wash my uniform and hope and pray that by the time we played the game the next day in another city, that it might dry out to be able to wear it the next night. We were in charge of all of our stuff. The players don't touch anything now. 
So, I mean, stuff like that. It's just, it's just one thing after another, after another, and I can go on and on. And it's just, and then people start laughing. And I say, Hey, I'm not making this up to be funny. This is, this is the truth. This is what goes on. And the players, I just hope that they understand and realize just how blessed and fortunate they are to be treated the way they are to get paid the kind of money they get paid and yet get spoiled rotten on top of it. It's so funny. My dad, you know, he's 67 and he used to say when he'd go, he was big, he lived in Pittsburgh and he would go down their apartments and they'd go watch the players play. And then you know, that was their off, you know, that was their in-season job. And then they would walk right up after practice, live in the apartment next to him. And then when the off season was happening, they'd be roofers or plumbers or whatever. It's just not even the same damn thing. Obviously, the amount of money that's poured into this from the TV rights and, and everything else is just astronomical, but it is really crazy to hear. I mean, washing your own uniform is something that I'm, I'm literally over here trying not to laugh. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of the way it was. And most of the time, you know, it's not going to dry because you wash it, you go back and you get something to eat, you go back to your hotel, you're up on an early morning commercial flight. The first one you had to catch. And so there's no way it's going to have a chance to dry out. Not all the hotels back in those days even had hair dryers. I mean, so it was, it was crazy. It was absolutely insane. And yeah, I just, uh, I look back on it and I wouldn't change anything. I just had an incredible time. It was pretty special, but it was definitely the difference between night and day, the way it was when I played and the way it is today. Sure. All right. So fast forward, 1975, you guys win the NBA championship. You're the MVP of the championship of the NBA finals. What was that like? I mean, you're the leader of the team at that point. Walk us through kind of, you know, one thing I like to do when I talk to people of your stature is understand your leadership methods and, and mentality, because I'm assuming at that, at that time, you're, you are the leader in that locker room. How is that going through a pretty high-stress environment? Would you kind of rely on them? If you know me, you know I'm always on the run, up early and home late. So having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash proven grit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check it out. Well, it wasn't stressful. I mean, I actually just gave a speech and they asked me to talk about leadership and stuff to Mohegan Sun people a week and a half ago or so. And that's one of the things they want to hear about. I, I think you have to be a leader by example. 
And my big thing when I started out, you want to talk about leadership? I said, yeah, but here's the deal. I said, in order to be a leader, you have to be successful. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit first about what I think it takes to be successful. And then if you get these different qualities and learn what you need to do in order to maximize your full potential and become a success, then you can be a leader. Then then you're able to go ahead and show what needs to be done and you do it by example. Then I told a story of, of how I did it and how the guys knew that they can count on me, even though I was sucking it up and talking about stories when I was just absolutely horrible. And, but I never quit, never gave up. Tell some of the stories in some of the games, game seven against the Chicago Bulls in the championship years. Great story about that. And it's just a matter of getting to the point where all of the qualities I talk about that are good to have, and you can name a myriad of, of qualities that are good qualities to have in order to be successful. I mean, I talk about stuff and I talk about pride, which is my father told me, you take pride in everything you do, son. And so, you know, you can talk about preparation. You can talk about dedication, determination. You can talk about education. You can talk about effort. You can talk about so many different things that are all good qualities to have. But what it all boils down to when I tell them the most important quality that you need to possess in order to really be successful is that you have to have confidence in yourself and your ability to do what it is you're being asked to do. And if you learn to become confident in yourself, you will eliminate probably the most overused word that I hear all the time. And I just absolutely almost want to throw up when I hear announcers talk about it. And it's just this ad infinitum pressure, 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 pressure this, pressure that. There is no pressure when you have confidence in your ability. Pressure only exists if you allow the situation, which can be a very demanding situation, to get to you. But if you have confidence in your ability, that's not going to be pressure. In fact, I tell people, if I could play every game and go back and do it again, I would want every game to come down to the last 10 seconds, game on the line, I want the ball in my hands. No pressure. I never felt pressure one time in my life playing basketball, ever. God damn. I'll tell you, you're getting me fired up over here. That's amazing. And look, you you hit it right up, up front. You got to be good, right? You got competence breeds confidence. It's not the other way around. Uh, some people fake it till you make it, but typically the great ones, you got to have competence. You got to work for that competence, and that will give you the confidence to never waver when there is that so-called pressure. But yeah. Well, I try to help people put it, put this, whatever they're doing. I said, just think about your job, whatever it may be. These guys who, when I was at that Mohegan Sun, they're doing some things. Maybe they got a big presentation to make or something of that nature. It's critical, right? Big one. So the enormity of that situation can indeed allow pressure to become a factor for you if you don't have confidence in your ability to do what you have trained to do. This is what you spend your life. You train to do what it is that you're doing for your life for your work, right? I mean, so you go out and you do it over and over and over again. You learn from your mistakes. You can't be afraid to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You learn from the mistakes that you make. You just don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And eventually you get to the point where you're going to be fine with whatever the situation is. As I told people, you can't, if you want to be a great success, you can't be afraid to fail. Amen to that. I mean, I think it's a great perspective. It's obviously time-tested and proven. Hey, I wanted to talk to you quickly about raising 
high performing kids. So look, obviously they saw you do what you do. How did you get them into, into sports so young? I mean, I guess it's kind of organic, but to have five professional athletes, five sons, that's insane. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I was hoping that one of them would be good enough to play basketball and then have all five play, get Division One college scholarships and all five of them play professionally is pretty astounding. And, you know, still hoping that my son Canyon will get a break somewhere and get to play in the NBA, which he's good enough to do that. Why he's not, I, I still can't figure that out. But, yeah, it's it's incredibly rewarding to be able to, to see your kids have success in, in sport that was so important to me in my life. And I just, I love watching my sons play. In fact, my son can says, son, please just, you know, hang in there. Don't give up. I said, I'm selfishly, I'm telling you this because first of all, somebody's still willing to pay you to play basketball. So that's pretty cool. I said, but if you just get a chance and hang in there and give it the best effort, if you only got in there and got in for three years and three years, it changes your life. You're a multimillionaire. I mean, so just keep working at it and see. I said, but selfishly, I'm asking you to do it. I said, because I get so much joy out of watching you play. I just, I love watching my kids play. And so it's, it's so rewarding. It really is to, to see your kids be able to do that. And it's not easy for them. My one son, Scooter, he, I, he said, uh, son, why don't you try the underhanded free throw? You're really good at it. And he said that it's hard enough being your son without shooting underhanded free throws. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, that may be true, but if you could shoot a higher percentage, you're doing yourself and your team a disservice by not doing it. So you can't worry about those things. You've got to be willing to do the things that can help you improve your performance. You can't worry about little BS stuff like that. Who cares? I mean, just if you have something that you can do to make yourself better, by God, go and do it as long as it's not breaking any rules. So, yeah, it's been incredibly rewarding to do that. And, you know, my son, oh, God, just the kid has the worst luck in the world. He was he was on the World Championship 3x3 team. The only gold medal that the USA had never won was in the World Championships. And he made that team and they won that a couple of summers ago. And then he he was on the qualifying team to go and try to make the Olympics. And two days before they're leaving to the qualifying tournament, he slipped on the court. Tweaked his, tweaked his back and had to remove. He had me removed from the team, and they wound up losing in the quarterfinals and didn't qualify for the Olympics. It was just heartbreaking. I mean, my biggest disappointment in my career was not making them being an Olympian. Uh, I was so excited that my son was going to get a baby chance to do that, but it didn't work out, you know. But in life, here's the thing, and that's what I tell people. I said, look, a lot of things in life. Life is a series of adventures. Some are good, some are bad. And so you take the good with the bad and you move on. And if it's a bad one, I said, and it really disappoints you and it makes you sad, cry, get over it and move on. Don't waste one ounce of energy, emotion over something that you can't change. If it's already happened, you can't do anything to change what's already happened. All you could do is possibly learn something from that experience to not allow something like that to happen again through that life experience. And you kind of move on. That's it. And look, he's 27. I'm looking him up online right now. So, man, that'd be great if he got in the league. Yeah, um, I, I know Brent, Brent and John both played, what, about 10 years, right? Oh, they played more than that. Yeah, they played like 15. Yeah, they played a long time. That's great. Yep. That's awesome. Hey, lastly, I, I, I just because of the, the Golden State linkage here, 
have you ever seen a shooter like Steph? Because no. talk about no. mastering your craft. You've seen them all. You know, you, Larry and all of them. Have, have you ever seen anything like this species that this that is Steph Curry? Well, I mean, you know, Clay is, is, is right, right there with him yeah. as far as being an unbelievable shooter as well, but a different type of a shooter. You know, he's not going to create the kind of stuff that Steph can create because of Steph's ball handling skills and abilities, but, you know, probably the greatest shooting backcourt ever. I mean, West and, and Goodrich are pretty amazing for the Lakers back in the old days. And, and But, you know, I mean, you can just go down the list of some of the great teams and pick out players, but, I mean, not to shoot like these guys shoot. I mean, it's, I mean, Steph Curry, one stat I saw a few years back in doing it, they take, I mean, they watch statistics now. I mean, it's like overwhelming what they do. From 28 feet, Steph Curry shot 48%. <laughs> I mean, guys can't shoot 48% from eight feet, <laughs> let, alone, let alone 28 feet. I, I mean, it's just, it's almost mind numbing to me how good he is at times. I mean, it's, I just love watching him play and I love watching him play because he just has such a joy when he's playing. He's just really having fun out there and he's a remarkable player. You know, my favorite player to watch without question. I just, I just love watching him. He's, he's a good guy and hopefully he'll stay healthy and, and play for a number of years. Cause I love watching greatness and I'm praying that, you know, the clay's going to come back. And I saw him taking a few shots the other day. I saw some video of that and everything. He still looked pretty darn good and they were hitting nothing but net. So hopefully he's going to come back and be able to add to the success of the team. But yeah, these are the, these are the two greatest shooters backcourt combination to ever play the game of basketball. There isn't anybody even close to them. And here's the reason they can shoot the three, they can shoot the mid range they can go to the basket and they're great free throw shooters. So it's not like they're just shooters. They're scorers. They can score. Okay. And then when I hear stuff like, I just, I just heard Mark Jackson again. I, I just, I, I, I kind of, I shake my head in astonishment when I hear players who are great players that I respect. I certainly respect Mark Jackson, great player, but to make a comment like, Oh, he's a lockdown defender. They're, there's a lockdown defender doesn't exist unless it's someone guarding a shooter. <laughs> you can't lock down a score. I mean, when I hear this, I'm going, what? Why do you say that? Why do these people say that? Nobody ever locked me down. I was a scorer. I have too many ways to beat you. You can't lock me down. You can make me work harder, but you're never going to lock me down. I mean, it's just impossible to lock down a score. And that's why Steph is so incredible, more so than Clay, even because he can get to the basket and he can do everything. I mean, whatever. I mean, how are you going to stop him? How do you guard him? I mean, hell, he come down, pulls up in 30 feet sometimes. So how do you guard that? <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's just amazing to me. Just, you, you listen and hear how many times these guys say, oh, he's a lockdown defender. I said, well, I've never met one yet. So, <laughs> yeah, because you had multiple ways to beat these folks. That's fantastic. I've never thought about it like that. Of course, I haven't. And hey, I would be remiss. The eight, the eighty-eight percent free throw, free throw percentage of the ABA. You know, the number one percentage in the history, and it was underhand. I know you've probably had to answer this question two million times, but why'd that work for you? How'd you discover it? My father was a semi-pro player and coach. He's the one that got me to try it. And thank God he was relentless. I didn't want to do it because girls shot that way. And I always remember, I said, I can't do that, Dad. Everybody's going to make fun of me. And he said, son, they can't make fun of you if you're making them. I never forgot <laughs> that. And it's absolutely true. What the hell difference does it make how you do it? 
isn't the object to try to make the highest percentage possible. In fact, I brag about my free throw shooting because it's the only part of the game of basketball that you can be selfish and help your team. And I was never satisfied. I got to be a better free throw shooter at the end of my career. My last six years, I wish I had been smart enough to figure this out earlier when I was shooting over 10 free throws a game. But I shot over 92. I still think I'm the best free throw shooter because my percentage based on my last year, if I had shot that way, my whole career would have been crazy what I would have done. But I shot over 92%. My last two years, I shot over 94% from the free throw line. I only missed 10 in one season and nine in another. The whole season. Incredible. Doesn't even make sense. <laughs> you you hacked it. That's incredible. All right. Well, before we get you out of here, I can't let you off the hook without asking you something we ask all three. Three questions we ask everyone that joins, and they are out of left field, so be prepared. The first one's the most important one, and it's what's your favorite non-alcoholic seltzer? I don't drink seltzer. No seltzer. So you're just a straight water guy. Yeah, I don't drink seltzer at all. Never, never have liked it and never will drink it. Good. I like that. I think that's the best answer we've had since we started asking that question about 100 episodes ago. One song that Rick Barry throws on before a big pickleball tournament that's going to fire you up. Never been a music guy like that. Never. Jesus. No, no seltzers and no music. This is incredible. Well, all no, right. I mean, I listen to music and stuff, but I mean, guys do stuff. They got their headsets on and doing all that stuff. I, did, I couldn't care less about doing that. My focus was on playing. And, and what I learned from my experiences is that you can't get yourself so emotionally wrapped up in the enormity of a game and say you're in the playoffs, you're playing in the finals, which I had to go through. You drain yourself if you get emotionally wrapped up in that game and think too much about it. And you can actually physically impair yourself and use up a lot of energy by doing that. And I've learned, you know, not to do that, to learn to control my emotions, stay focused, which I think is the most difficult thing for players to learn how to do. When I coached, I always ask my players, guys, I'm only asking you for 40 minutes of focused basketball. And the difference being is that if you're not focused you're going to be a half a step late. And if you're half a step late, you're toast in basketball. And so, yeah, that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way it is. You got to, you got to be prepared to go out and, and do what's necessary to do it. And it comes down again to the confidence and learning what it takes for you to be able to get yourself mentally prepared to go out and perform. And you need to be ready to do that every time you put your uniform on. That's why I had great respect for Kobe Bryant's of the world and, and, you know, and Michael and all. When they put their uniforms on, you know you were getting everything they had in every game that they played in. And that's the way I played. Uh, I, I honestly can say there's only been one quarter of one game that I ever played in my professional career where I wasn't mentally ready to play. Something was going on in my life. And I was so mad at myself at the end of that quarter because I played like shit. And, and I just, I, if I could have kicked myself in the butt, I would have done it. And I never let it happen again. And that's, again, that's taking pride in what you do and always giving your best effort in everything you do in life, not just in basketball, but I try to impart that to kids. Always give your best effort because then when you go to sleep at night, you can sleep peacefully because you know you tried your best, even if it didn't work. You tried your best and you can sleep peacefully and you can be better the next time. No doubt about it. All right. Last one. What's one thing back in the day that a teammate would do? How would you, how would an NBA player measure strength? 
Like something in the weight room. Was there something that like, oh, that guy can you do. You got to be joking. You got to be joking with him when I played. We had no weight room. I know, but now you, you're around. <laughs> you're around it now. I'm talking about like. you. <laughs> we, had, we had no weight room. We had we had no dietitian. We had no strength coach. We had no agility coach. We had no, we had nothing, nothing. Like people say to me now, you guys couldn't play with these guys today. And I said, are you out of your mind? Do you understand if I was playing today, how much better I would be? With all of the sophistication that they have in training techniques, I'd be faster, stronger, quicker, jump higher. It'd be ludicrous how much better a basketball player I would be today playing the game because of what's available with the sophistication of training because everything is sports specific now. Well, let me tell you, you were an eight-time All-Star you're an NBA champion, NBA finals MVP. So you're pretty goddamn good, Rick. I appreciate you wasting a little bit of your very valuable day to bullshit with me. And thanks so much, man. Yeah, no problem. But it was eight times. That's just the NBA. I was, you know, I think it was eight times. I also had ABA. So you know, everybody seems to forget that. <laughs> I was eight times on both of them. God damn it. Well, you said eight times. I was more than an eight time all-star. I mean, you know, that's, I mean, I had two careers. I mean, ABA, NBA. I mean, so, so oh, that's okay. That's I'm true. just, I'm just yanking, I'm just yanking your chain a little bit. Oh, my dad's going to kick my ass for that, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, Rick, thanks so much, man. All right. All the best to your listeners. Hope everybody has blessed upcoming holidays. You too. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And yeah, as Dan teed up on the front end, it was really awesome. I was kind of thinking to myself, how the hell did this happen? But, you know, I, I've met him through business and we've kind of stayed in touch and I shot, you know, I, I took a shot and he was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to jump on some pearls in there too. Some, some, some great wisdom. I mean, that is a tried and true leader. And he gets into some of the leadership piece. I love the fact that he's like, dude, I never felt pressure on a basketball court. You know, I had the confidence because I worked my ass off, man, what a mindset. And in some of the stories about, you know, having to do his own laundry on, on the road, it was just such a different world. I just can't even imagine the, the athletes in today's day and age going back there. I mean, can you, can you fathom LeBron James or Kevin Durant or fucking Kyrie Irving or whoever having to go and do their own, their uniform and then double bunk in a shitty hotel. Oh, be amazing. It's insane. And me and my brother have the, me and my brother, like there's always these like classic arguments. One of the, one of the most classic arguments we have is like, could X player have like survived in this time frame? And it's like, okay, well, Anthony Munoz, let's say like the, he was an offensive tackle, offensive guard. I can't remember for the Bengals. He was a smaller, smaller lineman. And it's like, would Anthony Munoz survive in today's NFL? And my brothers of the mindset were like, everyone that plays now is just infinitesimally better than everyone that used to play and fuck them. And I'm of a mindset. It's like, okay, that may be true, but let's give Anthony Munoz what we know about sleep. Let's give him what we know about diet. Let's give him all the modern training technical tools and technologies and get him bigger. Like the other guys in the league. And I bet he fucks everyone up and he's still a hall of famer. That's my, like a guy like Rick Barry, like you're telling me Rick Barry can't make shots in 2020. Like if you transport him today, like he couldn't, if you gave him the, those technologies, the ability to rehab his knees, which he never had that probably the same ability as the guys would now, like you're telling me he wouldn't have succeeded. I think that's bullshit. I really do. I think if you give them the stuff they got today, they'd still be fucking freaks. Especially him. I mean, he was a shooter. Shooting and, and never goes out of style. Right. And he says it in the pot, you know, in, in, in the interview, just to reiterate, like I was a scorer. No one could stop me. You could not stop me. So like, <laughs> yeah. 
it, yeah, it, he, he averaged, can, yeah. I mean, he averaged more points in the NBA finals. He, he holds the record by like five points over from Michael fucking Jordan. Like, yeah, he's going to score. It doesn't matter. You can put him in a time machine anytime. He'll score. I do think it takes a rare person to be able to transcend, you know, decades and, and, and eras, but he seems to be the one. I mean, look, the foul shot, the foul shooting, just the ABA record holder retiring at the NBA, you know, top one or two, just he was fucking amazing. He was really amazing. And this gave me an opportunity. I mean, I always knew he was good. Right. But like that piece that you sent me and even like the prep going into it, it's one of the best ba- basketball players of all time. It's really fucking cool to, to hear him, him talk. Rob, what do you think about that as far as the, the, the players like succeeding, like the guys, guys from yesteryear, do you think they could play today? Let's talk all sports, but what do you think? I, I hate to admit it, but your rationale there kind of made sense to me. Like, I mean, you have to factor in like people are just bigger and, and fit and they train more. But if you give Rick Barry all the assets of like training in a weight room from the time he's like 13 years old, like he, all those other things kind of level out. And at the end of the day, he's just a competitor. That, that's kind of what it comes down to. I think it is individualized, right? Like there is something to be said for the five foot nine point guard in 1960. This dude's six, seven, like, right. Right. And a right. shooter. Yeah. And like yeah. the game was not, I mean, of course it was different, but it wasn't like it was in the fifties. You know, this isn't like a, a 180 pound linebacker playing for the, you right, know, the Eagles right. when the, the, like that, that's not, that's not what we're saying. Height saying, and shooting, height and shooting never got a stop. I mean, the guy was like basically Kevin, Kevin, I mean, six, seven, and you could shoot. You fight him right, right in your goddamn ticket at that point. That's it. Well, again, it was kind of a pinch me moment. It was really cool. And hope you guys enjoyed that. Rob, anything on the smoker this week? Nothing, nothing new to report. Just my typical, you know, chicken thighs prepping, prepping for the week. Nothing, nothing exciting. I think I'm going to do a, a Chuck roast chili in the next couple of weeks here as it's getting getting cold, smoke it, and then throw it on the pot afterwards. What about you? I wanted to ask you about Thanksgiving because it's, it's rapidly approaching. Are you going to do the bird on there? I may have asked you this before. Yeah, I have the last few years, so now it's an expectation. Last year was the first year that I spatchcocked it and infinitely more flavor and cooked so much faster. So I'm definitely going with that again. So you're spatchcocking a turkey you're getting a big boy like this is the normal 15 16 pounder no probably like 11 to 13 pounds in that range because okay. it's, it's not that many people around eating and there's so many other side dishes you don't need that much turkey i don't know it just you spashcock a bird it just it just tastes different man cooks different everything about it's better i agree as for me nothing special on on the old rec tech this week kind of slacking a little bit, but I'll be back. Don't you worry. I'll be back. I got to get back to the butcher and get talked down to and, you know, order some, something that I've never ordered and be told that I'm a little pussy or something. Like, I'm glad you, I'm glad you still get bullied by your butcher. That makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. My butcher put me in place every time I get a little high on myself, go over there and they'll, they'll talk me down. What's her Turkey recommendation for you? <laughs> Don't kill yourself. You little, little boy. <laughs> I haven't asked. I have not asked, but I can't imagine I I go anywhere other than Aldi for my turkey. They already got them laid out. They're looking big. And, you know, the one thing you can't, you can't do stuffing if you do it on the smoker, I don't think. Right. Yeah. I got a question. I'm not a big stuffing guy. Okay. 
I, here, here's my rant on stuffing. Everyone fucking has their own stuffing and everyone says it's the best stuffing. Like I, th- I just like stovetop, just fucking stovetop, just from the fucking box. It's good. As good as any fucking homemade stuffing. Stuffing's not for me. It's just not. It's not, not your cup of tea. What about you, Rob? You got your own stuffing. You put sausage and apples in it. Fucking no, I'm, I'm not a stuffing guy at all. I'm all about the meat. That's all, yeah. that's all I care about. I'm here for you know, the like, meat and I'm here for the, the mashed potatoes. I mean, give me oh, some ma- mashed yeah. potatoes. Fucking mashed. Now, here's the thing. Do you guys do sweet potato mashers? Because sweet potato mashers are fucking awesome. I like it, but not enough people in the house like it. So that, that's one I do on my own. I don't do it for turkey. Same. Day. Same. I can't bring that to turkey day, but it's fucking awesome. I, I, I think I'm going to this year because I think, yeah. I don't think we've ever done it, but... I like them, so probably should incorporate them. And I don't care if anyone else fucking likes them. You know, I, I'm ass- I'm assuming Mallory does. I think she does. Why wouldn't she? Who doesn't like them? Is, is so you got to make those. Thing, uh, you got to make those potatoes for Turkey Day. That Instagram video you sent me with that Brit with the horse teeth, man. Those things are outstanding. Let's talk. Did about you it. make them? Yeah, hell yeah, I made them. They're awesome. Let's talk about Instagram cooking. You know, I, it's it's captivating me. The, the, this Instagram, like, first of all, I try to, I try not to be on Instagram all that much, but I go down these rabbit holes of these people making delicious, delicious looking things. I send you guys like one thousandth of the videos that I watch. They are such, there are so many good resources. Who would ever need a cookbook ever again? You barely need Pinterest or whatever the hell else. I mean, I get all my recipes from there. It's fucking perfect. And it's so simple. And that, you know, you press those potatoes and sprinkle some olives and or olive oil and some garlic cloves. Next thing you know, I got one of my favorite side dishes from s- some stranger in London. See, I'm assuming you cook like me. I don't want to follow a recipe. Just tell me what's in it. Give me some general directions and I'll figure it out. And those okay. Instagram, I mean, it's like a 30 second video, like the, the fat dude that makes all the stuff on his Blackstone, man. I made those cheesesteaks from that. The, they were so good. Just give me yeah. a rough draft and I'll figure it out. Daryl cooking with Daryl or whatever the hell that guy is a <laughs> legend. He's a fucking legend. That guy. I don't know what, what butter up it or what, what is that? Bacon up. Have you ever used bacon up? No, I've been looking, I've been keeping my eye out for it. I might have to order off of Amazon cause I haven't seen it yet. I saw a two pack. Alex King sent a, sent me a two pack for 22 bucks on Amazon. So I don't know. It sounds like bacon flavored butter, something that I'm into. I thought it was just straight up bacon grease in that. You keep in the fridge and then you just like make everything with it. It's just like a healthy fat to cook with. Oh, well, even better. I'll let you know. I will have it in the next in the next week or two. That is good. Dan, any good stroke? Oh, let's talk curb. Yeah, I love curb. Season episode one and two. The Mary Ferguson thing just destroyed me where he's got to find a different Mary Ferguson to go on vacation with. And he has a Mary Ferguson contest, just annihilated me. And then when he's trying to get the actor, just and from the Peaches cover where the guy's doing Peaches, it's the most absurd rendition of the most absurd song of all time into like his review of it as he's talking to him afterward and him just lighting this relationship on fire. And then the dog just, just go watch Curb. It's just it, he's still throwing a hundred. It's so fucking ridiculous. And it's it's at this point, if you're a big time Curb fan, you can almost predict what's coming. Like the Netflix thing falling apart. Like it was like there's nothing more obvious. I knew when he first sat down to go with them <laughs> that it was going to end with them somehow breaking up over something petty because it's Larry David. But that doesn't mean that it isn't equally entertaining. It's still fantastic the way he just is a self-saboteur. I love it. So he he can follow that rugby? formula for, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same formula every season, but there, it's always 
it's always great to watch. He could do it for another 20 years if he wanted to. Well, this new thing that they're doing is this like the last couple years, probably since the Seinfeld season, maybe the earlier ones, but I don't think so. It's a much longer story arc. It's it's an entire story over a course of a season rather than like onesie twosies where there's some loose story based, you know, you know, sometimes Jeff's breaking up or whatever. But like this is one where like just like Mocha Joe, the whole season was revolving Mocha around Joe, him yeah. fighting Mocha well, Joe. There was, well, well, there was remember like I think it started I maybe it was season three or season four with the producers with David yeah. Schwimmer. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. That's, yep. that's probably the first one. Like, and then he had the blacks that moved in. Yep. Loretta. Remember Loretta. And that's where uh, J.B. Smoove comes in. So, yeah, I, I guess it's it's kind of progressed that way, right? The first one and two. Se- and, and the restaurant. He had the restaurant season. So wherever the restaurant or, or maybe the Mel Brooks season started. Yeah, that's the one that started it because then they went to the Seinfeld and then. Yeah. Yep. And then they were in New York for for a year. So, like you said, still bringing the gas. It's it's, it's fantastic. Who's your favorite Curb character? Mine is Larry David. It's a it's a hard one. I'm going to do it's It's either. I might go Susie. Susie's rants, like when she fucking gets after him. I like my dad is is almost eighty, but like if I put Curb on, he can't stop fucking laughing when Susie gets going. As as my father, who grew up with a kind of an overbearing Jewish mother, when Susie fucking starts rocking and rolling, my dad can't stop laughing. So I, I'd have to go. Like Susie might be the low key goat. What about you, Rob? Nick, Susie's up there. Leon, I feel like is like the Leon's classic answer. Yeah. I'm, I miss Super Dave, man. That guy oh, was hilarious when he would come on. That was mine. I love, I fucking love Super Dave, man. He, What's your favorite he, Curb episode? First, Nick, answer the question. Then we're all going to go Curb episodes because this is an important topic. Super Dave, was, it, it's, it's him. Richard Lewis kills me. I mean, their interactions together, just like, I just start damn near crying. And then, of course, the other two you guys mentioned, Susie and Leon are, are great. But I would probably say Super Dave is my number one. Just because everything with him was awkward. Best episode, I'm going to start it off, was the Palestinian chicken episode. No episode makes me laugh harder. It was, it was, it was just absolutely absurd. And that was, that was my goat. Uh, that, one that one's a classic. I like the, the Rosie O'Donnell one. It sticks out in my mind. I can't think of one exactly that like that, that speaks to me more than the others. I mean, the Black Swan is obviously absolutely <laughs> hilarious. He murders where he kills the swan, <laughs> and the golf course, the golf course owner is so shook. I mean, some of those Seinfeld ones, just because I love Seinfeld so much, really got me going. I was, you know, I, I'll throw that on any any day of the week, but. Just in general, man, I can't think of anyone, any episodes that I don't like. You know what I mean? Like, they're all really, really good. So, all right. On our way out, any hitters this week? I have I have none. I've been listening to Big Booty Mix, Volume 20. On- <laughs> I got one. I got Back Home by Pepper. Nice. One of my all-time favorite songs. Love Back Home. The great, great, great song. I don't know if that's a kiss of death for you guys, but... Phenomenal. I got one that I've been afraid to put on and that I realized Nick also loves it. So beer by real big fish. Hell yeah. Should have been on that before. It's a, it's a high tempo song. Cool. We have more guests coming. I hope you guys enjoyed this. We'll be back again next week.